This is 105.9 The Region with your stories. The good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good to Hear. This is Glenn Perkins with Good to Hear on 105.9 The Region. NASA's powerful new James Webb Space Telescope is offering unprecedented views of the universe and revealing secrets about its origin. Professor Paul Delaney with York University joins us now. Professor Delaney, this is an exciting time for astronomers seeing the cosmic beauty shots taken by the Space Telescope. Absolutely. It's, it's been a, a terrific for James Webb and all those people who are associated with it. But the people who are really getting the most out of it are the astronomers. I mean, this has been a 20-year success story in the making. It, it's had a lot of fingernail biting in the process because, of course, getting it out to where it is in L2 was quite the challenge. But with all that has gone on with James Webb, it showed the planning and the execution has paid off. The imagery that we saw through the various instruments on board James Webb were nothing short of breathtaking. It was the sort of thing that we had hoped to see. We were expecting to see it, but now we actually see it. And it, it really is gorgeous to watch. Looking at these photographs, these images, what do they mean to us? So the number of images that have been released, first science images, are displaying the breadth of opportunity for astronomers that James Webb is offering. We're able to see exquisite detail of objects that are truly very far away. Some of the galaxy images, for example, are showing you not only terrific structure in the nearby universe, nearby as in, say, the first few uh, billion light years away, but they're also showing terrific detail in objects that are much further away, utilizing gravitational lensing and so on. The detail there is truly breathtaking. Uh, we're looking into the hearts of star-forming regions, and we're seeing, again, detail that was obscured to us in visual wavelengths. The James Webb Telescope is able to look at infrared wavelengths. It can peer through dust and gas. And even better, it can look back to the very edge of time itself. It has been optimized to be able to see back to within about 200 million years of the Big Bang. We're seeing all of those capabilities being displayed on these images today. It certainly is exciting, and I, I can hear that in your voice. Is this a form of time travel? We're talking about long periods of time. It is time travel. I, I think of myself as a time traveler, but it's one way. We're looking into the past. I, I can't go into the future. But being able to unveil differing eras of the universe's life basically allows you to piece together the history of evolution from time t equals zero when the Big Bang happened. We've not been able to look as far back in time as we had hoped to until today. James Webb should be able to give us the glimpses of the first star formings, the first galaxy formation, the first galaxy cluster formations. All of that took place in the first billion years, in fact, probably within the first few hundred million years since the Big Bang. And James Webb has been optimized to look at that particular era in history. So yes, we are time travelers. Every time you look at the night sky, every time you even feel sunlight, it is information flowing to you from the past. I get the feeling that there is so much information coming in and that information is going to continue flowing. What are we going to be able to do with it? Job security for every astronomer on the planet uh, is perhaps the quipping answer, uh, but w we, we have questions, and uh, the questions abound all the way from how do planets form, how do stars form, how do galaxies form. Perhaps one of the biggest questions is how does life form? 
the only way we can answer these questions is literally to build bigger and better instruments and place them in pristine locations and literally deliver uh, on the, the, the engineering expertise to give us science excellence. Then we stand a chance of being able to answer all these very, very fundamental questions that I've sort of just posed. This is what Webb really is able to do. As I've said, 20 years worth of planning and execution, and now we're seeing the data flow. And we hopefully will see that data flow for the next 10 years. And based upon other satellites that we have launched, 10 years of data from this telescope is going to keep astronomers very, very happily engaged for literally two, maybe three generations to come. There is that much data. It's a very rich data set, and we will be literally milking it for all it's worth for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Now, this does come with a price tag, $10 billion, the telescope uh, cost to manufacture. But Canada did have a part in this, didn't it? We did. Uh, in fact, one of the three principal instruments, the nearest instruments, the near-infrared slitless spectrograph, is one of the primary instruments on board uh, the James Webb Telescope. We also uh, f- supplied what we call the fine guidance sensor, which allows us, well, allows us, allows the uh, telescope to lock onto distant objects and keep the the tracking, if you will, pristine. So Canada was very front and center through the Canadian Space Agency, uh, and as a result of that. A Astronomers in this country have 5% of the guaranteed time. Many of the really important first projects that are going to be running over the next year, Canada is front and center with some of that data acquisition. So you can imagine how excited my colleagues are all across Canada uh, at this point in time. They're just uh, so relieved, one, that the telescope is working so well, and now they're going to literally fulfill many of their, their dreams as far as science excellence is concerned. If you were to sum it up in just one word. Magnificent. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the word. I, I remember waiting for the Hubble Space Telescope first image, which was over 30 years ago, and we were a touch disappointed because, unfortunately, the telescope had spherical aberration. No such letdown today. Uh, the imagery was as advertised, was even better than advertised. So, magnificent. Professor Paul Delaney, thank you for speaking with me today. You're welcome. That's Paul Delaney, a physics and astronomy professor at York University. I'm Glenn Perkins, and this is Good to Hear on 105.9 The Region. Good to hear. This is the good news. Well, pretty exciting news for a student just graduated high school in York Region from Aurora, from well-known Cardinal Carter Catholic High School in Aurora, Neil Budashansky of Aurora, receiving an $80,000 Schulich Leader Scholarship to go towards his university degree, and he joins us on Good to Hear. Neil, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? Good. As you get ready for the beginning of university life in the fall, I mean, take the listeners back to high school and what it was like for you and your friends of dealing with COVID and graduating with, you know, a degree, a, a level that you would get a scholarship like this. Well, to start during the pandemic, our world was completely turned around, which was no different from our schooling. Uh, we went from hanging out with friends at school and attending in-person classes to sitting at home staring at our computer screens in a blink of an eye. Um, however, despite all the hardships, our teachers were dedicated. They were caring and understanding of everyone's current situation, which really aided in the transition from school as we knew it to the new online school model. Um, I believe this past year was the one that really stood out to, in terms of how COVID affected our schooling. Um, in all previous years, students were united in the way that we learned. It was either in person or online. 
But this year, that sense of unity started to fade away as some students were online while most were back at in-person learning. This had the potential for causing division within classrooms, but the teachers all did a great job by ensuring that everyone was equally involved in lessons and class discussions. Overall, I would say these past four years have been the best four years of my life. I have made many friends, shared many memories with my peers, developed lifelong connections with my peers and teachers, learned new things, and developed new interests. I remember when I was entering grade nine, my grade 12 friends really enjoy these four years as much as I can, as they really do fly by. At first, I doubted him, but now I can truly say the same. These four years went by in a heartbeat. Fantastic. Now, I mean, I know you're going to be studying towards an actuarial science degree at York coming up, and you started the school's first ever science club at Cardinal Carter. What what possessed you to do that, Neil? Uh, yeah, so during the pandemic, I saw a lot of my peers struggling with online learning, and this was particularly particularly true in their science courses. Um, as a leader, I thought it was my duty to help them, so I applied my creativity and initiative and founded my school's first ever science club. This club revolves around preparing students for upcoming science contests, tests, helping them with any science-related questions, and allowing them to discover possible careers within the sciences. That's fantastic. Um, Oh, sorry, go continue. Uh, This club has been successful at driving students to conquer their academic challenges, which has been fulfilling to be a part of. And the student uh, community expressed a great interest in the club activities. Fantastic. What does this Schulich Leader Scholarship mean to you, Neil? Uh, So the Schulich Leader, to me, uh, is a tremendous opportunity to achieve greatness and become the leader I aspire to be. The Schulich Leader Scholarship is given to students who are studying science, technology, engineering, or math. All of these fields require one to identify a problem and create a solution. In developing these skills, the Schulich Leader Network builds true leaders that will have a significant positive impact on society as a whole. Not only does it fund my education, but it also connects me with people alike who are part of the Schulich Leader Network. It is these connections that bring me the most value. Through networking and attending uh, the various different events in the Schulich Leader Network, my goal is to acquire many insights into the real world and expand my entrepreneurial mindset. The Schulich Leader Scholarship is truly a blessing as this scholarship has gotten me closer to reaching my entrepreneurial, educational, and self-goal. Obviously, Neil, you could have pursued any degree you wanted, so why actuarial science? What was it about it that was that you identified that's what you wanted to study at York? Uh, so actuarial science is a, about math, economics, finance, accounting, insurance, risk management, and critical thinking skills. Um, these are all used to develop a solution that will aid people in lessening their financial risks. I have always demonstrated critical thinking through all of my endeavors, and all of these subjects have been my favorite throughout high school. This makes me believe that actual science is the perfect profession for me. Now, uh, are you going to live on the campus, or are you going to live at home in Aurora and commute? Uh, no, I'm going to live in Aurora and commute my way to school. That's all right, because at least you get home-cooked meals. That doesn't suck. Not that long of a commute, so no, no, no. I just to wrap up, Neil. Uh, again, congratulations on this incredible honor. Uh, what's your message to high school students, maybe listening right now, going into grade eleven or grade twelve, thinking about their future? So, my message to high school students is to enjoy these four years, obviously, and to get involved in your school community. 
This can be either done through sports, councils, or clubs, but it is really important to get involved. I would say that it's equally or even more important than getting your grades. When you, when you put together the kind of high school career you did to get this Schulich Leader Scholarship, do you ever have some sort of go-to music when you want to relax or get into a good headspace? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> so I either listen to, to rap or, you know, a lot of genres, but my go-to is probably rap. Drake, The Weeknd, that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, those artists, exactly. Very nice, very nice. Neil, congratulations, making Aurora, making York Region, making everyone proud. Uh, all the best with your studies at York University and your future. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on this show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 1059theregion.com or 105.9 FM. This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is Good to Hear. This is Glenn Perkins with Good to Hear on 105.9 The Region. Earlier this month, York Regional Police announced the rollout of a new connected officer program that will modernize day-to-day law enforcement and increase community engagement by reducing administrative time. To tell us more, we are joined by York Regional Police's Infrastructure Services Superintendent, Kelvin Chantium. Superintendent, what is the connected officer program? The Connected Officer Program enables and empowers officers to make crucial decisions more quickly, share and access information, intelligence and insight, and capture critical information such as notes, witness statements, digital evidence, enhancing communications, and above all, assisting in reducing crimes. So this is a collection of data which normally would have been done with a notepad. Now it's being done electronically? Correct. The goal is to use electronics. We know that note-keeping can be tedious, but it's important for officers to have that information when they go to court. Will this speed up the process and cut down on mistakes? This will uh, definitely speed up the process. So our new application called eNotes it makes the ability of the officers to use voice to text, which will mean that they will complete their notes quicker and free up time for uh, the radio calls. This eNotes also is connected to a record management system to integrate and upload notes without them driving back to the station to download their, their notes. So obviously the benefit for this is time-saving so that officers can continue with other policing functions. That is the uh, goal of the uh, e-notes. This is a pilot project, and we know these things don't happen overnight. How long has it taken to get to this stage? So in uh, 2017, our uh, deputy chief, Paulo da Silva, started this process. And a result of a lot of uh, vendors, we ended up finding a vendor that's able to interface our records management system or computer-aided dispatch system to our, our electronic notebook. So it's taken about six years to uh, come to fruition. How many officers will be participating in the project? When it's completed, uh, be over 1,700 sworn officers. And they'll all be able to connect with each other and with HQ via the new system. Yes, and they'll also be able to connect uh, externally. Uh, they'll be able to have uh, applications of their emails, connecting virtually with dispatchers, 
uh, messaging to our dispatchers to enable them to leave their vehicles, the frontline officers, and go into the field and conduct a more uh, thorough investigation uh, without running back to the car and, and being tied to a computer in the car. So basically your entire computer in the car is going to be in that phone. Pocket notebooks to a police officer is another piece of equipment, just like their gun or handcuffs. How easy is it going to be for them to give that up? Well, we have a lot of uh, members that are uh, tech savvy, and they already carry a phone. So the duplication of efforts by having the uh, cell phone that's going to be able to uh, write your note electronically is welcomed by our members. And how about the more veteran officers? How easy are they welcoming the new technology? Well, we're going to have some hiccups there, but all of our members carry cell phones. So it's just a matter of uh, learning how to use the application. And it's not a very uh, arduous process to use the the notes. Uh, The the e-notes is part of our connected officer program. So it's a lot more application uh, that's put on our cell phones. So the pen to paper method of taking notes is over 100 years old. So by leveraging these uh, types of technology, we'll ensure that our future generation of officers have the required tools to conduct their jobs in line of all the technologically advanced within the uh, community. Superintendent Kelvin Chantium, thank you for speaking with us today. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. I'm Glenn Perkins, and this is Good to Hear on 105.9 The Region. Good to hear. This is the good news. Hey, I'm Shaliza Backus, and our next story on Good to Hear comes from just north of the region in Blue Mountain. So Blue Mountain is inviting professional artists to showcase the Indigenous cultures and community in a large-scale outdoor 3D piece, and this is going to be displayed at the top of Blue Mountain. So obviously we want this piece to represent the original Indigenous land and want to allow guests to reflect on the relationship with the land and, of course, the Indigenous peoples of Canada. So to give us more information on this beautiful art piece and beautiful project, I'm joined by the PR manager for Blue Mountain, Tara Lovell. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, so let's start off with the fact that many people might not know Blue Mountain is actually located on Indigenous land. Yeah, Blue Mountain is actually situated within Treaty 18. Um, it's the traditional land of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat Wyandot peoples. And it's something that I think, like most people in Canada, we're only kind of just starting to acknowledge how we are only, you know, inherited stewards of the land that we live, work, and play on. And um, and so this project, I'm hopeful, is, is a, an opportunity to continue moving that conversation forward and bringing that to light. Yes, and I feel like that's a fact that a lot of us forget, you know, and it's important to remember those things. Very much so, especially at Blue. We're an outdoor destination, so what we love to do is get people outside on the mountain and playing out in nature so making sure that we have an acknowledgement of the original stewards of the land should be more a part of our story. So that's what we're hoping to elevate with this project. Um, we are a part of the Altera Mountain Company of resorts, and we're fortunate that um, Altera has moved forward this social responsibility project, providing a, a certain amount of funding to each destination to create an art installation for causes or people's that we feel um, should be elevated. And at Blue, um, we have a lot of causes we love and support, and we're doing a lot of things, but we saw an opportunity to do more around our commitment around Indigenous communities and people. It's going to be, hopefully, a, a large installation that people will want to come see and experience at the top of the mountain. 
Um, our hope is that it's something that connects them and gives them an opportunity to, while they're there enjoying Blue Mountain Resort, they take the time to reflect on our shared history with the original peoples of this area and of Canada. And uh, we're excited to engage with Indigenous artists on this project. Yeah. And I feel like you touched on it a little bit. And I talked about it off the top of this interview. But, you know, what uh, other significance is there of creating this art piece? At Blue, we've taken some like initial steps. And I think that there are a lot of tourism destinations that are, are trying to navigate how we can continue to reflect and acknowledge um, Indigenous communities while still staying true to what we've what they're doing for for people today as a destination. And, and it's, it's a challenge, admittedly. Personally, I don't have um, Indigenous heritage, but I am learning a lot, and the passion is, is there. And so through this process, what I've come to learn and what I hope happens is we, we continue to be humble and have conversations. And I think that that's what this project should do, is we've had to have at the table of people of leadership at Blue Mountain having to have this conversation. And it's kind of awesome that we are having this conversation, whereas like 10, 20 years ago, it probably wouldn't have been a priority to bring the leaders of Blue Mountain Resort together to discuss this topic. And yet here we are today. So I, I, I consider that pretty great um, and something that makes me hopeful that we can continue going forward and making more of an impact that way. Yes, you've made such amazing points. And, and one particular thing that you just said, I feel like a lot of Canadians can relate to that, that while we don't necessarily come from Indigenous bloodlines, it, it, it was a tragedy what happened to so many of the Indigenous people. And I love that people are taking the effort, taking the extra steps to become educated and to move towards reconciliation. So do you feel like creating this art piece is a step towards reconciliation, specifically for Blue Mountain or even in general? I think it's a small step. Um, I acknowledge that there's so much work to be done. And, and I, I don't want to say that there's nothing that we can do. There's certainly lots that we can do. But I think, like I mentioned, we have an opportunity at Blue Mountain Resort to have a lot of guests come visit us all year round. We're a very popular destination for people in Ontario, people across Canada, and even internationally. So that means that we have the audience of quite a few people that we could take the opportunity while we have their attention, while they're captive in the moment, enjoying the environment that they're in, also taking time to reflect on the original stories of where they are. So yeah, I, I'm hopeful that that does support the overall steps towards further reconciliation. Yes. All right. Now, speaking about the art uh, specifically, can you give me a little bit uh, information about what the art piece is going to look like? I mean, I know I mentioned it a little bit, but I feel like you're the professional. So why don't you tell us a little bit what it's going to look like and the process for artists to submit their pieces? Right. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. So knowing that we were going we were going to move forward with a public art installation, we wanted it to be relatively large in scope. But I don't want to prescribe to any artists what they need to create. I, I would love to see an artist come forward with an idea that is, you know, their own conceptualization of their own creativity. So uh, what we do have is there's a very large piece of land that's cleared at the top of the mountain. It's relatively central to the mountain, and it, and it just has open field space, and it overlooks southern Georgian Bay. You can actually see the water there. It's beautiful. Um, and it's going to be accessible year-round. So right now, if you took the gondola to the top or you hike to the top, you can get to that area. Um, and in the wintertime, skiers and snowboarders will also be able to get off the chairlift and um, visit that spot as well. So um, that it has to be um, a piece that's going to um, withstand the elements of southern Georgian Bay all year-round. 
and at the same time be be relatively large in scope without being vulnerable to the winds that we experience at the top of the mountain as well. So it, it, I'm hopeful that it also um, does capture a connection to the land while while sharing and, and celebrating Indigenous voices and stories. Um, we're inviting all professional artists or artist groups to submit uh, via our website, so at bluemountain.ca. Um, under our media center, there's an art submissions page that has all the details, and we're offering the selected artist $5,000, as well as uh, commissioning for the piece. So um, the scope the scope of the work, we, again, I don't want to prescribe to an artist what the scope will be. It should just be relatively large in scale, and we're committed to providing whatever we need to as far as infrastructure to set it up so if it requires a pathway or benches or, or something, a Blue Mountain Resort is committed to putting that there. And then on top of that, they can just email artsubmissions at bluemountain.ca, uh, their proposal uh, of work and some information about the artist or group. And um, then we have a panel who will review all those submissions after July 21st, which is the deadline. And that panel will include uh, myself, some uh, some of the leadership from Blue Mountain Resort, particularly those people who can help weigh in with regards to op- the operations and logistics of installation. But we've also engaged a couple of um, uh, Indigenous citizens who are or who we've worked with before at Blue on some previous projects and some learnings with our team, and have been really gracious and, and helpful in this process in, in putting the call for submissions forward. Okay, I love that. So there definitely is uh, going to be an Indigenous perspective while viewing these submissions. That's really important. That was kind of like, that was the initial idea. Like, as I said before, um, although I'm compassionate to what we're doing, I acknowledge very much where I sit at the table and my perspective at the table. And if we're doing this project with the intention of elevating Indigenous voices, we need to make sure that they're incorporated as part of the process. So um, we reached out to a couple of contacts who we've just worked with at Blue Mountain before, who loved to hear that we were doing this. I'm really happy that they've agreed to be part of this process. Yes, that's amazing. And uh, Tara, do you have any tips for anybody who does want to submit any things maybe they could throw into their art pieces to kind of put them ahead? So practically thinking about the elements is important because Blue Mountain Resort is such a beautiful destination, but we truly get every kind of weather at the top of the mountain. (laughs) Um, And this will be an outdoor piece. Right now, there isn't any uh, structure around it. It won't be like a mural. It'll be like a three-dimensional piece. So it will be vulnerable to the um, to the elements. So that's something to keep in mind. But other than that, I, I really I would love to just see an artist come forward with what what speaks to them, and and with in the storytelling that they want to convey. That kind of that passion I think will come across in what we see in, in the submission. Okay, we love to hear that. All right, Tara Level from Blue Mountain. And where can our listeners go for more information on Blue Mountain, on the art submission, social media, all of that? Everything's at bluemountain.ca on the website. Our social media handle is at bluemtnresort. And all submissions can be sent to artsubmissions at bluemountain.ca. All right, Tara, thank you so much for joining me. And once again, if you'd like to submit to this showcase, uh, definitely remember that the deadline is July 21st, correct? Yes. Thanks, Tara. Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.